This is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. You can support the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast on patreon.com slash slowboatsailing, and you'll receive one or more audiobooks and many bonus episodes with your pledge. Greetings from Bora Bora in French Polynesia. Today, our guest is Nikki and Jason Wynn of the spectacular Gone with the Winds YouTube channel and blog. First, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Mantis Anchors. I talked to Greg Cutson of Mantis Anchors about why weight in the tip of the Mantis Anchor is so important. The main issue I perceived with anchors was not really ultimate holding power. The reason they failed was because they never really properly set first place. So very rarely, 25 knots, you're overpowering a well-set anchor. We wanted to create something that guarantees you a universal set. As a cruiser, when you go around, you find unique locations that are really hard to get an anchor to bite. And we solve that problem. Go to mantisanchors.com to order yours for a better night's sleep. If you've not heard the story of Nikki and Jason Wynn, then you'll definitely want to check it out. They started out RVing across the United States, and they've been doing that for several years until 2016 when they bought a sailing catamaran, and they started offshore sailing right away. So zero cruising or sailing experience to sailing to the Bahamas and beyond. It's an amazing story. They produce just amazing videos. Jason, you'll hear as a professional uh, photographer, and it really comes out in their videos. And uh, his wife Nikki's attention to detail and experience as a makeup artist just shows up in just the beautiful quality of their video. Uh, which everybody recognizes and why they have more than 100,000 subscribers. I thought they also gave a very honest look at the kind of digital nomad, which a lot of people like to throw around that term, uh, lifestyle and the amount of work it actually takes for a wildly successful YouTube channel to produce that. And basically it's two very competent uh, people working 40 hours a week each, so 80 hours of labor uh, to produce that their wonderful videos and blog. We're so happy to have this always positive couple join the, the sailing community and be an ambassador to people that may not have otherwise uh, considered sailing. They bought a boat and started cruising almost right away and they're sailing around the world right now on their catamaran curiosity they currently last i read uh, was in Hiva oa in the marquesas so they had done the 3000 mile plus pacific crossing from ecuador and uh you'll hear in the interview that they plan to spend a lot of time in french polynesia filming and telling their story I apologize for the background noise, which is a function of being on a boat in a mooring in Bora Bora. I uh, recorded the interview with Thon with the Winds, Nikki and Jason, in March in my home, and so the sound quality should have less background clacking noises. Mantis Anchors founder Greg Cutson tells why they created a modular design that can be easily stowed away for their revolutionary anchor. 
Well, you literally have some time, just a few seconds, to deploy something. And that something you deploy better work. And sometimes it better work at short scope. And we want to make an anchor modular. It's not just because we want you to have a spare for a hurricane, you know, be able to put away a monster. But we want you to be able to have a spare for an emergency, which, meaning a spare anchor needs to have the same setting performance as your primary. That was kind of the, the thought. So we wanted to have, we didn't, we didn't want to change the design, we wanted to have the main anchor as something that is modular, so you can use it for a variety of applications. You can get Mantis anchors and their other innovative sailing gear at mantismarine.com or other fine retailers. Okay, so I'm going to talk in the bonus episode uh, for patrons only about uh, my cruise of the Northern Society Islands and recommissioning uh, Contango in Tahiti and my advice there. And I'll probably make the second half of the interview uh, with the winds a bonus episode later on for patrons, or possibly if this episode is wildly popular, I'll uh, make it available for all podcast listeners. So that's up to you. Share this episode if you want to hear the second half. But before I dive into the interview with Jason and Nikki, I thought I would talk about a movie that is coming out. I did want to interview uh, the author, Amy Oldham Ashcraft, I think is her name. Uh, And I did leave a message on her phone, but she never got back to me and I didn't know how else to contact her. I also tried to contact her publicist, uh, but that did not work. But there's this movie called Adrift that I think is coming out this weekend in the United States. And I've only seen the trailer, so I can't tell you about the whole movie. Uh, But I did read her original book, Red Sky in the Morning, or Red Sky in Morning, uh, morning as if you're mourning someone's dead. Uh, And spoiler alert, not for the movie, but for the book, uh, her boyfriend dies. Uh, But in the Adrift movie, as far as I can tell from the trailer, he does not die. So it's not a true story. It is adapted from the true story. I guess they had decided from watching All is Lost that it's better to have two people on a boat than one person on a boat, even though uh, Ms. Ashcraft's story uh, is that her significant other, I don't recall if he was her husband or boyfriend, uh, but her significant other fell overboard and she really had very little sailing experience, very little or no navigational experience, and her disabled, she needed to sail her disabled boat uh, to port and she was successful doing that, sailing it to Hilo. Um, I think it looks like an interesting movie. Uh, kind of a girl power movie. Uh, I don't know how much it's going to aggravate sailors or not, but it's worth a look. Uh, Another thing that just finished up, I think, in the United States is The Terror, uh, which is about sailing the Northwest Passage in in a doomed attempt um, by the the ships The Terror and Erebus. And I believe no one was ever found from that expedition, but the ships have been found more recently, I think in the last decade, uh, where they sunk. I I watched about half that series before I came to French Polynesia. I thought the acting was very good. Um, 
it's based on a book that I also listened to the audiobook version, um, which is The Terror, just like the series. And I think that the comment that people have commented on my Facebook page, uh, but I would wholeheartedly endorse that I would have been, and I'm a kind of, in addition to listening to a lot of sailing audiobooks and creating them, and I also like to listen to uh, Polar Explorer sagas. And I would have enjoyed the book and also the series a lot more if it was a more realistic account. And it did not include the giant polar bear, which is a, a key feature of the book and the series. Uh, so I would say if you're desperate for entertainment, you might want to check out the, the Terror series, uh, which is probably available in some sort of streaming capacity uh, if you're a cable subscriber of some sort uh, but and for the adrift movie uh, it's a I thought her book was good um, among sailing narratives uh, I I would check it out but I I can't say if it'll be good or not so the original book is red sky in morning adrift is also a book by Stephen Callahan about his ra uh, life raft survival after his Sailboat Sunk, the Napoleon Solo, uh, which is also a very good book. Uh, but the, the movie tie-in book is Adrift, uh, of the same name as Mr. Callahan's book. But I think the best deal in sailing audiobooks is to make a $5 pledge on Patreon.com, and you'll get Harry Pigeon's classic Around the World Single-Handed, the full audiobook version. You'll get Slowboat to Cuba, the full audiobook version and you'll get my book how to sail around the world part-time full audiobook version all for a pledge of five dollars in addition to all the bonus episodes associated with this podcast we'll let this uh track from some street performers here in bora bora lead you into the interview with jason and nikki win of gone with the winds youtube channel I spoke to Nikki and Jason when they were in Salinas, Ecuador in March. Evo and some of the islands we're planning on visiting, so it was... Yeah, so we were just kind of doing some little uh, French Polynesia research. education, yeah. <laughs> are you guys at Anchor in Salinas? Are, are you on one of the moorings? No, there are no moorings here, so in Salinas, it's, um, it is Anchor only. Okay, are you by the yacht club there? Yes, Correct. yeah. Yeah, there's uh, there's moorings, but they're homemade moorings for like the local boats. Not yeah. Uh, oh, uh, we had read that there's supposed to be mooring balls here, but no nobody has any, and uh, the marina's private. <laughs> yeah, they certainly don't want any um, outsiders. Yeah. And you're you're in Salinas, not La Libertad. Correct. Okay. Well, that's the nice yeah, area, anyways. That's kind of the resort, so that's where all the action is. Yeah, we uh, yeah we get waked all day long by uh, sea dews coming back and forth. So okay, yeah, <laughs> we're in the action. <laughs> yes, we are in the action. We are part of the action. I'm pretty sure we're part of their race course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so how long have you been in Ecuador? A month and a half, maybe at this two, point. Two, maybe two. Close. Close to two, probably. Yeah. And the reason we're here is uh, kind of our our visas were expiring in Panama, and we wanted to go see something else. And this made sense for the next uh, leg of the passage to Galapagos. 
and I guess we read that we could get our French Polynesia long stay visas here, and it wasn't too difficult. But they did say it takes a long time, and that's what that's why we're still here, is we're <laughs> waiting for our passports and our French Polynesia long stay visas to come back. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, so yeah, so we're sort of trapped-ish. <laughs> yeah. Is any indication of how how long that's going to take, or no no way to know? They, whenever we, well, it does say on the website very clearly that it will take anywhere from six to eight weeks, and it is proving to probably be on the closer to the eight-week mark, I am assuming. And even when we turned our, our paperwork in, the gentleman at the embassy said, it will most likely be the full eight weeks. You understand that? We said, yes, we do. Okay, and so you're kind of in six weeks now, so you think in a couple of weeks you'll get it. We're hoping, yes. So if you're doing a long-stay visa, you're not really in a rush anyways. It, no. No, huh? Uh, other than trying to get out of, you know, trying to see as much as we can before the the season ends. Um, yeah, other than that, we're uh, we're not on, a, on any sort of rush. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's not like you're you're running to Tonga and then New Zealand this summer. So I would have thought exactly. you were a little little late, not too much. Uh, if you're planning on stopping at Galapagos, but if you're gonna have a long stay visa, you got the whole season in French Polynesia. So but you're gonna you're probably gonna stay there for cyclone season too, right? Probably yes. Yeah, yeah. It, we we're still talking about the boat will be there yeah. for sure, and we're trying to decide what we're gonna do. Yeah, I think that's doable. I mean, I think that obviously I have my boat there, so I, I'm not super worried about that. <laughs> but I, even if you're staying on board, I think it's pretty doable. It's fairly unlikely for a storm to hit Tahiti, and it's very, very unlikely for it if you stay in the, the Marquesas. But the Marquesas is a little slow, you might find. <laughs> you may not want to yeah. stay there in the off-season. Thor hired all like it, so he, he stayed there for a long time. But he didn't have a <laughs> When did you buy your boat, Curiosity? April 2016. All right, cool. And and you guys have been traveling for a lot longer than that. So yeah. Why don't you seven tell us years when, before that? Seven years. Was it all on yes. RVs, or did you do it in other ways too? We traveled a lot with our work. I was a professional photographer, and Nikki, a makeup artist and stylist. Um, so we got to travel quite a bit, and we caught the travel bug through work. Um, and our work was very enjoyable, but living in Dallas, we found ourselves escaping, Dallas, Texas, that is, um, we found ourselves escaping as often as possible because it's a concrete city, it's hot, there's lots of pollution, there's no mountains, there's no ocean, there's barely a lake. Uh, so we, we found ourselves leaving, and then we decided, well, we're at this juncture in our careers where if we don't leave now we're going to be so deep in that we won't be able to leave. And that's how the idea came up of, well, we need to take a road trip and figure out where the heck we want to leave or where we want to go to. Yeah. So we decided, all right, well, let's kind of schedule this epic road trip. We'll travel and, and find our next home. And we thought it would be, you know, six One months year. or a year. And then once we really got deep into the planning, we realized it was going to be possibly longer if we really truly wanted to see the whole of the United States and anything extra. So that's why we decided to get an RV, make it kind of a, a one to two, you know, year sabbatical with a little work. And that's how that started. And, and one year became two and then two became seven. <laughs> you started in the RV in what, what year? 
Well, we sold everything and closed our businesses with the intention of going somewhere and starting a new business in 2010? Yeah, summer 2010. Ju July 2010. Uh, but we had a, a lemon, um, which is you know an, an RV that basically didn't work. So uh, we don't really count our first year. Well, our first, yeah, the, the end of that year, because we were honestly just sitting at a friend's house in Colorado awaiting our, essentially our refund on our RV. Yeah, so our, our actual adventure started when we picked up the second RV, which um, we picked up in Oregon in 20... Uh, February 2011. Yeah, on Valentine's Day. Yep. <laughs> and when did you start filming your travels for YouTube? Let's see. Um, for YouTube? Uh... Originally, when we when we started the adventure, uh, we the CW Network was one of my clients, and we had a really good friend in the, the local station, and he said man, you guys are going to go on this adventure. You have to start a blog. And we were like, what's a blog? I mean, we barely had social media. Uh, all of our social social media was done in person at, at events. And he's like, you got to start a blog. And, and uh, you know, you should record it. You should record it. And I thought, well, what is this blog thing? And so we, we looked him up and we thought, well, okay, this is cool. And my camera, I just bought um, a year earlier, I just bought the new 5D from Canon and they had the little record button. And I thought, well, I'm a professional photographer. I don't, I don't want to work the entire trip, so I'll just shoot video. Maybe that'll be fun. <laughs> it turned into its own beast of work, and that's just kind of how the whole concept started for shooting video. Yeah, but we, we decided in the beginning, we thought, okay, well, cool. We can start a blog, but who cares about us? You know, people don't want to know. They don't want to just watch people travel about, or that's at least what we thought. So we thought, okay, well, we'll highlight some of like the cool places we go, the people we meet, the businesses, you know, because we felt very strongly about small business because we were small business owners. We thought, ah, we can try to, you know, highlight some of these places and talk about what people are doing. And the more videos we started to create, which we didn't do that many, we maybe did once, one a month in the beginning. And uh, the more we started publishing and writing blogs, the more that we started getting questions about our lifestyle and how are you doing this? And, you know, what about mail? What about insurance? Well, you know, how do you find your campground? All of a sudden it turned into more of a lifestyle blog about living on the road and less about the people and places. And then we kind of came back to that later on. So it's been an interesting journey, but I would say we didn't really start getting serious about blogging or creating YouTube videos until maybe like 2015. Yeah, that's about right. 2014, something like that. So you guys crisscrossed the U.S. You went up in Canada. Did you go to Mexico too? We dipped into Mexico many times. However, we did not take the RV because of insurance purposes. It was difficult to get insured down into Mexico. And we thought it just wasn't worth it. So we'd walk over or drive the car over the border and, and go visit towns there. But we grew up in Dallas, in Texas, and Mexico's basically our, our next-door neighbor. And we spent a ton of time in Mexico uh, exploring. And, and it is such a cool country. I wish we could have gone down to the Baja with the RV. It just never really worked out. You decided that you're going to buy a boat. Tell us about Curiosity, why you picked that boat, and uh, why you decided you want to go sailing. Well, with the RV, we knew we wanted to explore our own country before we set out to explore the world. And, you know, as much detail as possible, we could explore our own country. And that's, that way we could understand other cultures better. That was kind of one of the, the thought processes. And... Uh, land-based adventures, the RV seemed like the perfect vessel. And, 
And to explore these islands and the water, we thought, well, a catamaran seems like the RV of the sea. You know, I'm sure they don't love it when I say that, but... (laughs) (laughs) But definitely, we knew we wanted to explore abroad, and a boat seemed like a really great way to do that. We were very much in love with the idea of the lifestyle with the RV because you get to travel with all the comforts of home and living on a boat seemed very similar. So that's kind of what, what drew us to sailing. And then when we started really diving into it and really looking, we slowly made the decision of we wanted a catamaran. And then once we knew we wanted a catamaran, we knew we needed some serious help because we didn't know anything, which is why we decided to get a broker, happened to find a great broker through our friends Pat and Allie, who are bumfuzzle. I don't, I'm sure plenty of people know who they are. So anyway, we went with a broker and he helped kind of guide us towards a good vessel for our purposes. And that's how we ended up with a 43-foot leopard catamaran. It's a 2005 and it is an owner's version, and it was really only had one owner, technically two, but the first one never really went anywhere on it. So mostly owned by one guy, and he took very good care of it. So uh, yeah, we have a very solid vessel. Yeah, very clean. A lot of comments when we were looking at this boat and we were shooting the videos about the buying process, people would comment and say, I can't believe that boat's 10 years old. It looks brand new. And we still get that comment today that People come by, oh, your boat's brand new, and we're like, no, no, it's 12 years old now, <laughs> which is not new and by any means, or not old by any means. No. But it's still, it's not a brand new boat, which a lot of people think it is. You know, when I saw it, I thought, that's a brand new boat. <laughs> so I'm really impressed it was 2005. Uh, you know, I think the other thing is that uh, that just strikes me when I watch your videos is, is, is not just how clean the boat, but how clean the shots are, just how immaculate everything is you guys do such a good job and you must be cleaning that boat constantly (laughs) (laughs) i i I do clean a lot yes but we try to keep it really tidy um also because it's our live workspace and i have a very hard time functioning or working in a messy space i guess it's kind of uh clutters my mind as well as my actual surroundings so i like having a, a very tidy space to work in and that's one of the reasons we ended up with a catamaran, back to your question, of the, the fact that we, it's the two of us, and we work, I don't know, maybe five days a week on the computer, you know, editing video or writing blogs or editing photos. So we need a really a comfortable space to sit and work and basically run our businesses and run our lives. Um And we wanted the opportunity to bring other people on board with us. So that's that's kind of how we ended up coming up with the idea that we wanted a catamaran over a monohull. Yeah, I think uh, catamarans are increasingly popular, and they obviously give you a lot more space, and uh, they're just really, really nice if you can afford them, and that's what you want. I'm still trying to convince my wife to to get on a catamaran. She's not done it yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if we meet up with you in French Polynesia or wherever your boat is now, uh, yeah, definitely have to take you out for sale. Okay, that'd be awesome. Love to do that. Um, okay, so got some sailing classes I saw. You guys went to the Blue Water Sailing School there in Miami uh, to get an introduction. Was that your first introduction to sailing? We had been sailing with friends uh, while we were traveling in the RV. Multiple times we had the opportunity to meet up with people who had boats, and they would take us out. But we had never really done much more than day sailing, uh, and only a handful of times. So 
we had been on boats. We had gone on a couple of sails, but we hadn't done anything extensive. And we certainly had only learned a very minimal amount, you know, of friends just letting us pull some lines, you know, raise a sail, that kind of thing. It wasn't nothing major. So that our sailing school was our, our real introduction to sailing. And that's where we truly started to, well, learn. Yeah. And we had Kent, our broker uh, at Just Catamarans. He, he went out with us a lot and yeah, he, huh. he helped us sail the boat down after we bought it from Vero Beach, which is a couple day sail. Uh, well, two day sails there we go, yeah. <laughs> um, north of Fort Lauderdale. So we got to go out with him a lot and he was kind of our mentor in that aspect. But we knew we wanted, we wanted, if we're going to shoot videos and share this lifestyle with people, we wanted to do our due diligence and learn at least the basics before we set sail and, you know, try to, try to help people. It gives us, it gives us more of a respect for the ocean and our boat. And we thought that was really important to do. All right. And uh, so you spent uh, some time with the lessons, and then uh, you left pretty soon after you bought the boat uh, for the Bahamas. Is that right? Correct. So we you, did, yeah. You bought the boat in April, and then when, when did you go to the Bahamas first? So you get in Florida, you get 30 days after you buy the boat. Otherwise, you have to pay sales tax. You can request a 90-day. And then you can request an extra extension of another 90 days, so 180 days total. And I think we were in Florida for exactly 180 days, <laughs> and then we set sail for the Bahamas um, so we didn't have to pay sales tax, Florida sales tax. <laughs> so April, May, June, July, August, September, October. So we were in the Bahamas by October. While you were in Florida, you had a few storm scares, I'm nothing too serious, but there were some name storms coming through. Right? Yes, yeah, the big the big hurricane that was coming through. So we got to we got to learn how to tie up, and we helped uh, Kent at the docks tie up a ton of boats. So we have a lot of experience from from that one event tying up dozens of different boats. Yeah, we we were in Florida whenever Hurricane Matthew was coming through. Uh, others as well, but that was really the big one that we really were concerned was going to hit us. And so yeah, we, that was a a huge lesson and tying up and how to properly storm prep. So it's fantastic education, um, and luckily with no consequences. So we, we really were, we lucked out. I mean, there's just no, no other way, I guess, to put it, because you can't do anything special other than leave. Uh, so, yeah, we just got really lucky that we didn't get hit, but we got all the education and all the prep work of learning how to tie up and properly prepare for a hurricane. All right, and then in, in the Bahamas, where did you guys visit? Well, uh, we had we had to be out of Florida for six months, and we knew we wanted to return to Florida because we didn't get all of our service work done, all the upgrades and, and outfitting done for our, our big voyage. So we just decided to hit as many islands as possible, and I think we ended up, I can't tell you how many we hit, but we hit most of them. <laughs> yeah. Basically starting all the way up north near Walker's Key, and then heading as far south as the ragged, the ragged islands. Yeah, through everything you went through the abacos, the berries, the the Bimini yep. group. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> we made our way to Long Island, uh, and then from Long Island, that's where we finally went over towards uh, the ragged. So we did the Jamentos and the raggeds, and then no, we just went to Nassau, and then uh, started to head back towards. Bimini, yeah. but yeah, yeah, to make our crossing back to Florida. Okay, so you 
you went back to Florida after your first season in the Bahamas. Correct. Exactly. Yeah, we knew we had to have more work done on the boat in order to prep it. So that it was great because we had six months to figure out what we really needed in the Bahamas before we set sail on our big passage down to Panama. Okay, so you, when you went back to Florida, what time of year was that? Summertime, just in time for hurricane season again. <laughs> you guys did a lot of work on the boat. What kind of upgrades did you make? Oh, jeez. Uh, so the original owner had done a couple of things, but he hadn't really done a lot of offshore, like, blue water sailing upgrades. Because um, he was just a coastal cruiser. Yeah. So it was it was great because when we got the boat, it already had a water maker, and it had some solar installed. So that got us through the Bahamas. Well, we had already had the, yeah, we did that before we left. Yeah, he yeah. also had uh, lithium batteries, but the company that he bought them from apparently was going through some, some shady times, and two of our batteries were missing BMSs, which are the, the devices that control the battery. So we had four lithium batteries, but only two of them worked, so we ended up having to replace, and we went with uh, four new lithium batteries. Uh, upgraded our solar setup. We have 1,400 watts now. 1200 amp hours of lithium battery and we added a couple water filters that have been amazing because we're using water here in Panama sometimes because it's the water's dirty in one of the rivers we're in and, and we're actually safe to drink the water from the tap which is a lifesaver <laughs> and other upgrades oh the dinghy was a big one the way the leopards were outfitted the dinghy hangs down Almost, if you have the engine on, almost the engine almost touches the water. It's it's kind of so low on the davit system. So we removed the old davits and went for a newer style davit system. So we could get the dinghy up much higher. Yeah, yeah. And then we added a you know a couple new. Oh, oh, totally redid all of our navigation because the navigation gear was starting to fail in the Bahamas. And then totally crapped out by the end. Yeah. Yeah, so that was a, a big expense that we weren't expecting to yeah. tackle yet. We were really thinking that was going to happen much later down the road, but it, yeah. So that came earlier than expected and really blew our budget, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, necessary kind of evil, I suppose. Uh, so we did all navigation, yeah, the the solar, the the lithium batteries. Those were the biggest things. Other than that, it was really just work that needed to be done to the boat. So we needed to redo all of our running rigging and our standing rigging. It was all pretty much original to the boat. So at that point, it was, you know, 12 and 13 years old. Just if we were going to take off on a big passage, it was recommended that we go ahead and especially the, the standing rigging. It was um, just getting up there in age. And we thought it was better to tackle it in Florida than trying to do it in, say, Tahiti, uh, which we didn't want to do. So we went ahead and Took that on, and other than and that, you're I bringing just, up bad memories. There's <laughs> a, a lot of money we spent. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, some keel work. Um, we had a spot on our on our keel that had to be repaired. Repaired. Yeah. The uh, and then we got the bottom painted, and of course, in true Fort Lauderdale fashion, we were two weeks delayed getting hauled out, and that was the sunny two weeks of the summer. And when we got hauled out, it rained nonstop, so we got a half half uh half butt bottom job <laughs> uh now we're only six months in it's time to redo the bottom and we're here in ecuador and there's nowhere to haul out a catamaran yeah we just couldn't get enough coats on the bottom and so now we're really feeling those effects and our we're getting growth very quickly so yeah tahiti will be a haul out for us that's for sure so la libertad can't pick up your your boat sadly no it's uh all there's only two places to really haul out your one 
one is the private yacht club, which wouldn't haul us out anyway. And then there's La Libertad, which is um, La Plate. No. What's the name? Uh, Puerto Lucia. Puerto Lucia. Yeah. I don't know. Now, <laughs> now we're confused. Yeah. Anyway, their lift is not wide enough. It's a very narrow slip. So it's great for um, smaller monohulls, but anything too wide is not going to make. Yeah, I think it's 20, 20 feet 24, wide. 24, 20. Yeah, no, just, yeah, just 20. yeah, they're 20 feet wide lift, and we're 22 and a half uh, breadth. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if the, the one in the Marquesas will do it, although there were some fairly large catamarans hauled out there. There's obviously the one in uh, Aputaki and the Tuamotus, uh, and I think that is really big. So yeah. yeah. One of our podcast guests had their catamaran about your size hauled out there. Uh, and then where I'm at, I'm not sure. They probably could do it they hauled a catamaran and they were like we're never going to do one this big but i think it was 50 feet oh yeah but then the the one in riotea probably could do it but they they you have to book ahead you have to book way ahead they they fill up uh, but the other one should be okay although you know the marquesas place was pretty busy when i left and that was really their second year so they might be uh, very busy too plus they were worried that they're going to build a road right through there <laughs> and shut down the facility. So I don't know how that's going. So I'll be interested when you visit there to see what happens. Okay. So you guys did all that work in, in Florida and then you pretty much went straight to Panama. Is that right? Correct. We had the choice of going from Panama or from uh, Florida to Panama, and obviously there's multiple routes, so we really battled on which route we would take and if we would actually stop in the Caribbean islands uh, because we only got to see the Bahamas. We didn't get to see all the other Caribbean islands. Uh, but we decided that because of hurricane season, uh, it was probably not a good idea to stop in the islands, and just we just boogied straight down to Panama, and it turned out to be the right decision. Uh, at least at least this year or in 2017. Right, because of Hurricane Irma. So we, we really got down into the the safety of Panama just in time. If we would have taken either of the other routes, we, we very much would have ended up in the path of Irma. So it, it turned out to be the right decision to just get out of the hurricane zone and get to a good, safe place. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. A lot of that was fueled by our insurance company. Um, they had a specific date and a specific latitude we needed to be below uh, before that date. Otherwise, they wouldn't have insured us. So that's kind of, I guess, ultimately what, what made the decision for us. Yeah. So you went between Haiti and uh, Cuba. Is, is that called the Windward Passage, or what is that called? Yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, it's called the Windward Passage, and that yes, that's what we took. So you guys went back to the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. Sort of. We um, We dropped anchor. One night outside of Nassau, and then we dropped anchor outside of Georgetown, paid our our uh, check-in fee. check fees of $300. I just pulled out that receipt the other day as I was doing my taxes, and I thought, man, I can't believe we stopped. But we were fishing in their waters and everything, and, and uh, we ended up spearing a couple fish while we were in, the, in Georgetown for like two days. Uh, so it was worth it. And then we continued on to Great Inagua was our launch-off point to head... Um, towards Panama. Yeah, for the which took us about six days. Just to get from to Great Inagua to Panama. Oh, six days yeah. from Great Inagua. Okay. Yeah. All right, that sounds good. And did you have good weather for that, or not really? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, we had fantastic weather for most of. It. We only got hit with one kind of 
random freak squall, but that was mostly it. Otherwise, we had great weather. We had good winds. We were cruising along between 7 and 10 knots most of the time with it being downwind or just slightly off the beam. So it was great. Uh, it was very nice passage. And so we got about 150 miles off the coast of Panama where no wind exists <laughs> ever. <laughs> absolutely died. I think we would we would watch the 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 wind go anywhere from zero to three knots. <laughs> and, and you guys went into Bocas del Toro, is that right? Correct. Yeah, that was our first port of call, and it was a great place to start. Certainly, it was just far enough down that we it gave us the opportunity to to cruise the whole coast before going through the Panama Canal. And and Bocas is kind of a happening little town, and you've got um, the national parks, which are right there. It also turned out to be an excellent launching point to leave the boat somewhere safe and travel inland uh, to go visit the, the volcanoes. Yeah, and the cloud forests and everything else. So yeah, it was it was a really nice port. Yeah, it seems like you guys did a lot of hiking and, and saw quite a bit of the land travel in Panama. Definitely, and that's that's kind of the concept of of the boat is we get to see the small islands, but in, when we have an opportunity, we can just park it and go inland and explore, you know, at least for a month or so uh, while we're somewhere beautiful. I mean, it seems like such a shame just to sail right by. I talked to um, another boat who spent some time in Ecuador, and they really liked it as a launching point for a lot of land travel. Have you done much since then, since you've come to Ecuador, or have you been mostly on the boat? Yeah, so we did leave, and we took a little over two weeks, and we traveled inland, so we went to... Uh, Quito, Tolcan, some of the volcanoes, the Cotopaxi, Kilatoa, and um, the very cute town of Baños, and then uh, back to Bahia de Caracas, which is where we left the, the boat, because uh, it's in a nice, safe river. There's a little marina there. I guess if you call it a marina, it's <laughs> you're anchored, um, or you're on a mooring, uh, but there is like a little a little marina restaurant and uh, people who look after your boat. So that's a, it's a great place to, to leave a boat to, to travel inland in Ecuador. But sadly, we can't really go any further than Ecuador because we don't have our passports because we gave those up for our French Polynesia visa. So we sadly uh -oh. can't head over to Peru or, um, or Colombia, and we would have loved to, but... Uh, in the Bahia de Caracas, they, they had a earthquake recently. Did you see any uh, effects of that? Wow, yeah, the buildings are all pretty torn yeah. up. Two years ago, they had an, about two years ago, they had a, a major earthquake. And still, as you sail up to the, to the port or to the entry up the river, it, it looks like just this striking town with surrounded by, you know, mountains and these high rises. And then when you actually make it, onto land and, and walk around, it's it's devastated. All the buildings are just closed and cracks everywhere. Half crumbled Man, and yeah. yeah, so it really hit the town very hard. I think they were suffering a little bit economically before that, <clears throat> but that was kind of the final straw. So it's not, there's not as much going on there as, as there once was, uh, but it's still a quaint little town. The people are fantastic. Um, there's a, a small little expat community. Um, it's still a, a great a great port and a, and a fantastic place to visit. And the guy who owns the marina is just absolutely goes out of his way to try to make it cruiser friendly and make it uh, very enjoyable and comfortable for the sailors. So he, 
He's a very nice guy, runs the marina. Did you guys have a uh, pilot that led you into the, the Bahia? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if we'll do that again. <laughs> he just comes, he came out, and so basically the you have to go at high tide, dead high tide, and most people talk about hitting bottom. They'll touch the bottom three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. One guy counted 13 times. He hit the bottom on the way in just because of the shoaling. But he, yeah, the pilot jumps on our boat, uh, cranks on our, cranks down our engines full throttle, both engines. And just it proceeds at eight knots to just plow <laughs> through. Yeah. <laughs> The channel, so, and I'm watching our depth go from, you know, 10 to 8 to 7 to 6 to 5 to to 4.8. And, of course, I, like, wanted to just reach over and, of course, shove him out of the way. But I thought, okay, he seems pretty confident. <laughs> but, yeah, we made it through, luckily. <laughs> Being a catamaran was to our favor. But I I would have, I, if, if any other boat, I would have probably knocked that guy out of the way and told him I'm taking back over control of my vessel. I guess the pilot knows what he's doing, but maybe you should keep control of the wheel. <laughs> yeah. yeah, in in hindsight, I certainly would have, or it, I guess if anybody else is headed that way, they can be a little gung-ho, but absolutely tell them to slow down. You go at your speed. You, you, you do what's comfortable for you. And he would have easily complied, no problem. Yeah. We just, he seemed confident. We had talked to plenty of other people, and it, they all said it was fine. So I thought, okay, this should be all right. And it was, but it was a little close. And if we would have had a deeper draft, that could have been a real problem. Yeah, and it's super intimidating because the river swift. It runs at two to three knots, and we had building seas behind us and three, four-foot rollers coming in. and So we're kind of surfing. Oh, man, it was super intense right towards the seawall. And then at the last minute, he turns. <laughs> And just the waves are bashing against the seawall. It's really an intense entrance. So when you get there, it's it's fortunate that Gene, the owner of the, the marina, is so kind, you know, that he, he goes, don't worry, I'll have customs come out tomorrow. You just relax and enjoy your day and your evening and deal with all the paperwork tomorrow. Because <laughs> <laughs> he knows everybody's a little rattled once they finally get in there if they had a rough entry. <laughs> If you like hearing the most interesting cruising sailors in the world, write a rating or review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. I think for June's episode to uh, ring off the start of North Atlantic hurricane season, I'm going to bring you an episode of some sailors who were adversely affected by Hurricanes Irma and Maria last fall. Until next time. I'm Linus Wilson, signing out from Bora Bora. Have some fun on the water. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.